Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, I have a question for you as we jump into our study. Have you ever heard of something called blinding laser weapons? Blinding laser weapons. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what I have. What is it exactly? Well, labor with me for just a moment. Uh, blinding laser weapons, these are weapons that are developed for actually warfare. And what they do is they're designed to blind soldiers on the field of battle. You go, really? The problem is, is that they, they, they sort of like, like in the, the whole, you know, rules of, 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 of warfare is that they said, hey, let's not kind of go there except for one country. See, what I found out is most countries adhere to an international law to minimize the power of these lasers, except for one country. You go, who is that? See, China came in, and instead of limiting the power of such weapons, here's what they did. They took full advantage of the potential of developing a a battery-operated ZM87 portable laser disturber. That's what they call it. You go, what? It's a battery-powered, okay, so you don't need electricity, ZM87 portable laser disturber. You go, what's the point? What do they use it for? Its desired effect was to ensure or to injure and or dizzy the eyes of the enemy. You go, wow. You go, how so? Here's what they do. By seeking to blind the enemy they render them unable to fight. You go, what, 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 do you, what, what do you mean? Okay, think about warfare, okay? Think about warfare and about the tactics. You see, it makes a lot of sense that a soldier doesn't have to be destroyed in order to be rendered useless. You see, blinding them is enough. Blinding them. Now, now think about that, right? Here's war. Okay, you've got this. You've got this weapon. Everybody's going, "Hey, that's not that's not really fair." Except one comes and says, "Like this is what we're going to use. We're actually going to use a battery powered because here's what we've learned. We've learned that." And now think about it, guys. Think about it in 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 our day and age. Think about it that we don't have to what we don't have to necessarily necessarily destroy a soldier in order to render them useless. All we have to do is blind them. Blind them. Listen, how does that apply to us? Well, the enemy of our souls, Satan, right? The enemy of our souls, Satan, he doesn't have to get rid of us to take us out of the battle. All he needs to do, guys, is render us useless by blinding us to the truth. You guys with me? You go, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? Okay, well, there's two groups of people. Okay, there. this is group A. Let's say group A. These are people who are born again. They love Jesus, going to heaven, Christians. What the enemy wants to do in your life, now listen to me, is he wants to blind you to the truth so that keeps you from growing into a closer, deeper walk with God. He wants to blind you to that truth. How does he do it? There's several ways, but he'll use the, he'll use his weapons. But what he does also, too, is that those that don't know Jesus, those that are, that, are, that are searching, those that are out there, all of our family and friends we're praying for, those, he's using that weapon to blind them to the truth of who Jesus really is. He's using that. That's what Satan does, right? As a matter of fact, it was the Apostle Paul who told us, and he, t- he tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says, Satan, listen, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. 
They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message of the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. That's what Paul writes to the Corinthians. And you see, that's what's happening in our text today. The enemy is using what I call spiritual blinding laser weapons. You go, what? I believe he's using that. How so? Well, he wants to keep unbelievers from seeing who Jesus really is. But I also think he wants to keep believers from from growing in who God is, growing in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus. But today, his focus, his target, unbelievers. Unbelievers, let's see if I can blind them from the truth. Well, if you weren't here, remember where we left off two weeks ago. See, last week we took a break, but two weeks ago we were with Jesus. Now, you and I, we're his disciples, okay? We're hanging out there with Jesus. Now, we may not be part of the 12, but we're kind of standing, we're kind of watching, and we're following Jesus everywhere he goes. Now, where did we leave him? We left him at the temple, right? It was the the Feast of Dedication, Feast of Dedication, Jesus and us, we come into walking into the temple, and all of a sudden, the crowd, the Pharisees, this, everyone starts to corner him. They start to corner him at what we call Solomon's porch, right? Now, all of a sudden, there's all these people around him, and they're going to ask him a question, a really simple question, right? You go, what's the question? Here's their rap. How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. That's what they're asking. You go, what do you mean? Well, there's a showdown at Solomon's porch, and they get Jesus, and they go, Jesus, tell us, are you God or not? Are you the Christ? Tell us, right? And they keep asking, why why are you doing this? Now you go, Pastor Ben, why are they so emphatic about this? Why are they, well, to use a term, why are they tripping at Solomon's porch? Here's why. Listen, listen. Because of a fella by the name of Antiochus IV. Antiochus IV, about 175 BC, a fellow by the name of Antiochus, he ascended to the throne in Syria. Now, listen, Syria sits up north, okay? Israel sits down here, and then off a little bit, sort of the bottom to the left is Egypt, okay? So Antiochus IV ascended to the throne in Syria, He became this great regional power and overlord. Guess what his plans were? His plans were to conquer Egypt. He goes, man, I'm going to go for Egypt, right? Egypt being a type of the world, he had this ego problem. He starts raising a great power. I'm going to conquer the world. In the meantime, while I do this, I'm going to conquer Jerusalem. I'm going to go in and I'm going to conquer Jerusalem. And that's exactly what he does. He comes and he's going to rule over Jerusalem for a while. While he was ruling over Jerusalem, guys, something happens, right? He started believing his own press clippings. He actually changed his name from Antiochus IV to Antiochus Epiphanes. You go, what does Epiphanes mean? Epiphanes actually means this, right? It means illustrious one, God manifest. Pastor, what did you just say? Antiochus changed his name and he said, I am God. I am God. That's what he's saying. God is manifested in me. Well, of course, this doesn't sit well. But while he's doing this, guys, Antiochus Epiphanes goes in and he starts to desecrate the temple about 168 BC. And you go, what did he do? Man, in an act of brazen disrespect, Antiochus raided the temple in Jerusalem. He stole the treasures. He built this altar and he set an altar up to Zeus. And then if that wasn't enough, he went to offer swine on the altar. 
This enraged the people. Why? You desecrated our temple. You stole the sacred things. This is just not, are you kidding me, Antiochus? And so they're really upset, so much so that their response was, we've got to fight. And so Judas Maccabees goes, we've got to do something. So he, he led this revolution with the Jews in a series of victories in this military force, and he overtook and vanquished Antiochus, Right? And as he did, he began to restore the temple back to where it was. When they restored the temple at about 165 BC, that's when they named it the Feast of Dedication. They rededicated the temple back to God. And you're going, oh, so Antiochus, right, about 100 years earlier was tripping and he was, he was just causing problems. And so we won and, we're, and so this is a great victory. And so every year they celebrated... Feast of Dedication. This is awesome. This is great. Feast of Dedication. Here's the problem. Jesus has been teaching for about three and a half years. He's been healing people. You guys know what I'm talking about? He's been, he's been, I mean, we think about physical healing. We see those that were dead, he's raised to life. We see those that were hurting, Right? The, the issue of blood, the woman with the issue of blood. I mean, he's, he's healed and he's probably healed internally. And I'm, I'm, I know he's done great healings emotionally and spiritually. And God's, and Jesus has been doing all this. But in the meantime, guess what he's doing? He's claiming to be, help me church, God. He's claiming to be God. He goes, I am the Father and I are one. He said that many times. If we go back for all, all the chapters of John, we go, man, he's been what? He's been saying, I am God. Well, think about it. Think about it for just a second. They corner Jesus in Solomon's porch. Why? Because here's the reason. The reason they're so emphatic and they're so freaked out is because they don't want another Antiochus disaster. They're going, wait, 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 wait. We've had plenty messiahs come through here, but now, man, we see some things with you. We want to make sure that you're not Antiochus. The second thing as they tell, listen, we, we, have the de- we have the temple exactly how we want it. Everything is right how it's supposed to be. It's the presence of the Lord. It's here. God is here. And we want to make sure that whoever this man is doesn't come in and desecrate it like Antiochus did. So you could see, you could see the heart of the people. They wanted to make sure. This dude was, was, was legit, man. They want to make sure. And so the same, tell us, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. And Jesus responds. He says, I already told you, and you don't believe me. He says, the proof is in the work that I do in my Father's name. Now, remember, all the work that God did, all the work that Jesus did, he did in the name of the Father. He didn't do any works in his name. And he's going, but you guys don't believe me. Why don't you believe me? I'll tell you why, Jesus says. He says, you believe me because you don't believe me because none of you are my sheep. He says, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Here's what I want you to see, guys. Here's what I want you to see. It's so important that we know God. But I want to make sure God knows me. And I want to follow his voice. I want to follow his voice. And Jesus says, and I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish. And no one can snatch them away from me. Isn't that great news? You go, well, Ben, perish? What do you mean? I'm going to die, right? I mean, I am, I, I mean, it means, it means spiritually perish. 
He says, man, you're not going to, you're not. You see, for the believer guys, the ones that hear the voice of Jesus, all, you're, all we're going to do when that day comes, listen, you, you, the rest of us are going to be sad for you, of course. We miss you. We love you. But all we're going to do as a believer is transition from one place to another. And here's what, here's what believers should do. Don't have a funeral for me. Right? Don't have a funeral for me. Man, have a celebration of life. But who are we going to celebrate? You can celebrate my life. You can say, well, Ben did this and Ben did that. Celebrate Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, if anything happens to me, there better be an invitation at my funeral, I'm just saying. Because that's the whole point. That's the whole point, right? He says, man, I've given them eternal life. Shall perish. No one's going to snatch them away. Don't you just love that? No matter what you're going through in life right now, nobody's going to take you out of the Father's hand. No one can go, ah, gotcha. Nobody can do that because God has you in his hand. He's got you in his hand. He says, no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. For my Father has given them to me, Jesus says. He is more powerful than anyone else. And no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. Notice verse 30. The Father and I are one. Are one. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to note the reaction. Here's the reaction. Now, I told you I'm calling this message Sticks and Stones, a non-believer's reaction. For today, we learn, listen, Jesus just told him, you got you to stay with me. Jesus just told him, I am fully God, fully man. I love you. I've given you eternal life. No one's going to snatch you. My father is powerful. And the reaction for us should be we bow the knee in humility to receive Christ. That should be the action. Guess what their reaction is? They're bowing the knee, all right, but to pick up stones. They're bowing the knee to pick up a stone because something's not right. Something's not right, right? They're picking up stones to kill Jesus. You guys remember that old saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, in this case, unfortunately, those stones, they wanted to kill Jesus, they weren't all about words. They were like, listen, listen, a couple of these boulders and you're done. You're done. Now, here's my question to you. And you have to ask yourself throughout the, the, your time in Bible study, have you ever asked, why would they want to kill Jesus? Why would they want to kill him? I mean, he's done nothing but good works. I mean, think about it. You know what? My, he, he, he healed my, my Aunt Josie, right? She was, she was sick and and man, he healed my mother-in-law. I really didn't ask him to do that, but he did it anyway, and that's okay. Okay, my mother-in-law, that's good. Uh, he did all these wonderful things. Why would you want to kill somebody who's giving life and healing and loving and showing compassion and restoring people? Why would you want to do that? You see, the people, well, they realize something. You go, what's that? It's because he said that he and the Father are one. He understood that what Jesus says, he said, Jesus said, listen, I'm fully man. And I love that. Why? Because you, you need to understand one thing. When Jesus says, I'm fully man, he understands exactly what you're going through. Every emotion you feel, every heartache, he knows how you feel. You don't think my Jesus knows the hurt of betrayal in your life? He knows it. But he says, I'm also God, so that I can pay for your sins once and for all. We don't have to keep sacrificing the sheep. We don't have to keep once and for all. 
This is why they want to kill him. And that's where we pick up our story. You guys ready? Verse 31. Then the Jews, after he spoke all of this, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. To stone him, right? That's their reaction. The reaction of Jesus being God should it be a bended knee that's with a heart broken to surrender your life to God. And yet, no, their, their bended knee to pick up stone. It says, then the Jews took up stones and they're wanting to stone him. Now, now listen, I need to make a quick statement before we move on. Okay. We must realize that the people there in Solomon's porch and all over, listen, they understood what Jesus meant. They understood what he said. Otherwise, they would not want to stone him. They, they truly got it. You go, what happened? Here's the thing. The Spirit of God began to re- reveal that he is, in fact, the Christ, the Meshach, okay, the Messiah. But what happened is the God of this age, the God, right, that, that Paul talks about, the God of this world, then came and they blinded him to the full revelation of this truth. You go, okay, wow, right? How do you know that? Well, it's based upon their reaction. In other words, here's what, here's what they're saying. I understand, Jesus, what you said, but I don't believe it. And since I don't believe it, it must not be true. And if it's not true, then we have to kill you for blasphemy. That's what they're saying. That's what you're saying. Now, here's what I want you to think. You go, how does this apply? Okay, everybody fast forward to 2018. You see that the same thing happens today in our lives. You go, what do you mean? When we live out the gospel, when we live out the gospel, okay, here's what happens. You you surrender your life to Christ. Jesus comes into your heart. And now all of a sudden, you're living out the gospel. See, we think that witnessing is all about words. Well, I have to tell my brother about Jesus, and I have to tell, and I have to say something, and I have to preach, and it's living out the gospel each and every day. When we live out the gospel first in our homes, at our jobs, the people we hang out with, those that we influence, right? When we live out the gospel, guys, and then share with others the good news about Jesus, let me just say this to you. They get it. They get it. They understand the claims we're making about Jesus. You go, how so? You go, listen, I don't know about much to tell you, but I'm living out my life. Yeah, I see something different about you. Yes, I'm living out my life. Let me tell you, how did that happen? Jesus changed my life. Listen, listen, I got invited to church and I went and now my heart was changed. I, I don't know how to do it, right? But let me tell you about Jesus. They understand that. They're looking at you going, I get it. The problem is, guys, is just like back then, They understand their sin. They understand their need for a savior. But then something happens. I believe they're blinded to the reality of the of the truth. But instead of stoning the Lord, which they can't because he's not here. Here's what happens. You're you're living out the gospel. You're sharing the gospel. You're telling about Jesus and something happens. They get it. And instead of stoning, guess what they do? They get super mad at you. Well, I just won't believe, I can't believe, you You know, and they get really upset. Are you saying that I'm not saved? Are you saying that in my religion I'm, and they get really, really upset. Why? Because they understand it, but they're still blinded to the truth of who Jesus really is. That's why we have such divisions in the world when it comes to Christianity. Guys, we even have divisions in the world based on denominations. Why? Because we need to see the truth of who Jesus is. 
We need to see who the truth of Jesus is and then live together that way. And again, they're blinded. They're blinded, right? So they don't get mad. Or here's what happens. They just don't believe. You tell them, you live out the life. They see something so different in you that they don't understand it. And they're like, well, that's good for you, man. That's cool. Right on. That religious thing is working for you. Amen. And so they don't understand it, guys. But here's the problem. They make a crucial decision not to believe and follow Jesus. Because I'll be here on a Sunday morning and I'll say, hey, how many of you want to surrender your life to God for real? And they understand where they are. And yet they'll, they'll make a crucial decision not to believe. We'll see Jesus responds, right? Look at verse 32. Here's how he responds back. And Jesus answered, he said, many good works have I shown you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me, right? In other words, you could picture Jesus going, hey, why do you want to stone me, bro? You know, what, what, tell me, tell me, tell, give me the reason. Give me the reason. Why, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, think about this. Antiochus, guys, was a crazy man. And a crazy man said, listen to me. I am God, and you're going to follow me. And if you don't, and if you guys said, no, 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 no. We only believe in Elohim. We only believe in God. Antiochus would have you killed so that he could show others that, that he meant business. Jesus goes, hey, listen. Y'all seen I've done good works. I've done good works in my father's name. You've seen me heal, and the blind can see, and the lame can walk, and the dead rise. You've seen me, you've seen me take a boy's sack lunch and feed 5,000 plus. You've seen me, right? Which one of these are you stoning me for? I did it all in my father's name. I did it all in my father's name. Guys, I think there's a great lesson to learn here. And you go, why? Because not only did they want to stone, right? Not only because they were acts of obedience to the Father, but also because they were acts of blessings to men. And you go, well, what's the lesson? Now, think about this, guys. Everything that Jesus did in his Father's name was an act of obedience to the Father. Can I get an amen? But they were also, they were also acts of blessing to men. Listen, when you and I are obedient to God, not only do we feel that obedience fills our heart, but we also bless others in the meantime. I mean, I think it's so important. Why? Listen, when God says, listen, okay, you know, when it comes to giving, if you're giving, listen, think about it. If you're giving, yeah, right? Think about it. You put it in there. You're being obedient to what God says. But then you drop it in there, and then we're able to bless other people. And so as your obedience turns into the blessing of men, and this is exactly, we're following in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior. Whatever God tells you to do, remember, you're doing it in obedience to him, but it also blesses men. That's exactly what Jesus, Jesus is going, God, I'm only going to do what you tell me to do. And people are getting healed and saved and little ones, right? Little ones are raising from the dead and please come because my little girl's sick. Well, what's their reaction? 
Look at verse 33. The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Everybody see that in verse 33? Go ahead and underline, make yourself God. Right? And I want you, I want to, I want you to make a note there because I want you to see exactly what they're saying. They're saying, we're not going to stone you for, for the good works. We're stoning you because you're blaspheming. You're, help me, making yourself out to be a god. Here, here's the thing, right? It was F.F. F. Bruce, who's a commentator, he said this, and here's what he wrote. He said, Jesus is not making himself God. He's not making himself anything. But in the word and the work, he's showing himself what he truly is. The son sent by the father to bring life and light to mankind. Okay? So first and foremost, Jesus is not going, I make myself a God. He is already God, right? So he's not making himself out to be anything. He is simply being obedient to the Father, and the fruit is showing. Now, why is this profound? Well, I think it helps us today, okay? In order for us to believe in Jesus, what must we do, church? We must observe the word and the work of Jesus. Those go hand in hand. How so? We have both his word, right, who he claims to be, I believe, and we have his work, Right? What's his work? Well, his work is what happens in the lives of his followers. Right? Here's what happens, guys. Let me illustrate it this way. When we understand that principle, right, we have both the word, right, and the works. We read the word, and then something happens, and what happens in us is now the works of what we've read. Our lives are different. Our lives are changed. Okay? Our thinking has changed. Can we be honest? Our thinking should be changing. You go, what do you mean? We should not be thinking the same as we did five years ago, 10 years ago. How long have you been saved? I've been saved a long time. You should be thinking. Why? Because the word of God is now moving in your heart, and it's now what? It's now manifesting in the works of your life, and that's how people get saved. How? By looking at your life. You tell them the word, here's what God's word says, and then they look at your life, and they go, oh, that matches it. That matches it. I see. There's, there's works. There's works. I get it. I get it. That's what Jesus said, guys. Jesus said, listen, listen. We have your word, and now we have his work. Do you realize that his work is manifested in the life of all his followers? That's all it is. You represent the Lord and all you do and all you say. Notice Jesus responds. Now, his response is over the next five verses, but he has the same thought, so I need to read them all. Notice what Jesus says. Now, let me step to the side of the pulpit here, because before we read on, here's what I want you to see something. I want you to see something. Listen, if Jesus now claimed to be God, I and the Father are one, I've been telling you guys this, and they get hostile and they start to pick up stones and they want to kill him, if it was me, I'd be like, man, y'all are crazy. Peace out. I'm out of here. Okay, because I don't feel like being stoned today, and I would leave. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus now debates them in just in the most amazing way. Well, tell me for what work do you want to kill me? We don't want to kill you for because you're claimed to be God. Okay, hold up, time out. Let's see what Jesus says. Notice his reaction, and I want you to see his heart, guys, because I want us to follow the heart of Christ. Look at verse 34. And Jesus answered and said, it is, not writ- is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, 
and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? And if I do and if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you don't believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Here's how Jesus answered, guys. The religious, the religious leader in verse 24 surrounded him. They held rocks. I want you to think about it, man. Feel the intensity. They're wanting to kill him, but Jesus didn't panic and he didn't run. He, he stopped them with the power of the word. And he says to them, look at verse, look at this verse. He says, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. Now, we have to do some work here, guys. This is so important, okay? Because Jesus just said, isn't it written in your law that you are gods? Okay, why is that important? Okay, first and foremost, we need to break this down. Whenever Jesus said, is it not written in your law? Remember, the Jews at this time believed that the Old Testament was, it was, all, was the law. All of it was scripture. So in essence, Jesus is saying, isn't it written in the scripture? That's all he's saying. Because sometimes we'll take that and go, well, it's the law. It's the Ten Commandments. It has to be the law. It's like, no, he's just saying, is it not written in the scripture, right? And he says, you are gods. Now, here's the thing. Jesus says, is it not written in the scriptures? Now, where's he quoting? If you're taking note, he's quoting Psalm 82. Okay? Jot this down. Many believe the Old Testament was the law of God. Okay? So you need to understand that. But Jesus looks at him and he says, ye are gods. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to know. So important. The word gods there is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim, okay? So Jesus is saying, here's a small God, and he's saying, okay, is it not written in the Old Testament? You guys believe Old Testament? Yes, sir, we do. Don't you believe in the Old Testament? When he said that ye are Elohim, you go, wow. Here's what we need to know. In the Old Testament, half the time, God, the Father, is Elohim, okay? Let me give you an example. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning... Elohim created the heavens and the earth. That they refer to God as Elohim. Okay? El being one God, Elo two, Elohim three or more. That's how they define it. Half the other time, Elohim is actually used for men. But men that are judges, men that are in prominent position, men that are representatives of who God is. You guys with me? So half and half. So in Psalm 82, right? They were judges, not like the judges in the Old Testament, but they were judges, right? They were called God because of their office. They determined the fate of other men, representative. You can see it in Exodus 21, Exodus 22. They're called earthly judges. In some areas, they're called little g gods, Elohim, Elohim. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, y'all, okay, because that's how we speak. Y'all are supposed to be spiritual leaders, governing and guiding my sheep. You are judges. You are representatives of the law. That's all he's saying. He said, didn't you know the Old Testament? Didn't you know the Old Scripture? That you all are Elohim? You're my judges? Didn't you guys read that in Psalm 82? And they're like... And he says, and if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came... Right? So Jesus now reasons, he said, if God gave these unjust judges the title of gods because of their office, 
He looks at him and he smiles and he says, why do you consider it blasphemy that I come and call myself the son of God in light of what? Not what I'm doing, but the works that I do in my father's name. It's like, whoa, right? He just, guys, he just floored them. He just floored them. Now, here's where we have to be careful. Here's where we have to be careful, okay? Oftentimes, you'll be sitting in your recliner after a long day, and you'll be flipping through the channels, and you might come across what we call the quote-unquote Christian station. And on the Christian station, you'll stop for a moment, and you'll look, and you'll see who's preaching, and you'll just kind of, I don't know this guy, or I might know him. And he'll tell you that we are all gods. Okay? They'll take this context, they'll take the scripture out of context, they'll make it a pretext and make it whatever they say, right? They'll say, we're all gods, you're a god, I'm a god. Once you accepted Jesus, you are gods. That's what the Bible says. Didn't Jesus say, you are gods, right? And they'll take the scripture and twist it. Now, here's what we need to be careful, okay? Jesus didn't make the statement, you are gods, in Psalm 82 to apply it to all humanity of believers. He didn't say that but we'll take a scripture and we'll twist it to make it say what we want it to say. Here's what I know. I'm not a God. I'm a sinner saved by grace with the Lord Jesus living inside me. And I still make mistakes and I'm still growing and sanctified, right? right? Progressive sanctification means it's a road, it's a battle. I'm moving to be more like Jesus every day. Won't get there till I die, but every day... I want to be more like Jesus, okay? When I get to retirement age in the next 30 years, none of you have to do the math. I want to be, I want to be so seasoned with grace because I've been more like Jesus every day, every day, more seasoned with grace, okay? I'm a sinner saved. I'm not a God. So when the preacher on TV says, you're a God, he's taking that scripture out of context. He's making it... He's making it a pretext, and he's going to make it whatever he says. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said and refers to in Psalm 82, those are what? Those are judges. Those are men. Those are representative. And he's looking right at these guys who should be great representatives of who he is, and yet they've twisted it, and they've become religion, religious. Excuse me. The use of gods in Psalm 82, guys, was a metaphor. Keep that in mind. Jesus spoke of that metaphor for what reason, Ben? To expose both the ignorance and the inconsistency of the accusers. Of the accusers. And then he says, and by the way, all scripture, it cannot be broken. You go, what does that mean? Well, Jesus wants to remind him, guys, is that it's called the law of first mention. Whenever a word is first mentioned in scripture, Whatever the meaning is of that is usually going to be, it's going to be very consistent throughout the rest of the word. It's the law of first mention, okay? And because God's in Psalm 82 was mentioned, it was mentioned as in judges, men, office, representatives. He says, the law can't, he says, the scripture can't be broken. You can't take it here and say, this is what it means here. Use the same word and mean something different here. And, and so they're going. And he says, so you understand that, right? You understand that. And he says, and the word of God, well, it cannot be broken. It breaks whatever it poses. It breaks whatever it poses, right? He says to them, right? Do you say of him, 
whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, why are you saying that you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Listen, if I do not do the works of my Father, he says, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, he says, believe the works that you may know and believe the Father is in me and I in him. And I in him. You go, Pastor, what was Jesus doing? Do you guys see his heart? They're ready to stone him. We're not talking little rocks. I mean, we're talking they're ready to stone him and kill him right there in the temple at Solomon's porch. Here we go. And Jesus is like, listen, guys, come on. I still want you to see who I am. Because the God of this age has used what? He's used spiritual blindness weapons on you. And you're missing it. Now, I'm sure there were some people at Solomon's porch that that believed in God. And I believe the enemy wants to use... Now, listen to me, guys, because this is is what we got to take home, okay? I really believe that's what the enemy wants to do to keep us from growing in him. He, He blinds us to the truth of all Scripture so that we're what? So that we don't grow closer to God, so we don't have an intimate relationship with Him, so that so that we cannot hear His voice. We have to be so careful. We have to be so careful. Well, guess what? They hear. They understand. You go, why? Because look at verse 39. Therefore, because they heard all of what He said, instead of bowing the knee... In repentance, it says, therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. I don't know how Jesus did it. Did he just kind of like walk away, you know, but they're just like, where did he go? You know, I mean, whatever it is. But here's why, because his time hasn't come yet. We're about three months out before the crucifixion. It wasn't time for him to be uh, arrested and tried and crucified. It wasn't time. This is winter, okay? Feast of dedication happens right around the winter solstice, but, you know, so so... It's going to be a couple more months, right? Maybe three. But they're still angry. They want to get him. They want to, they want to kill him. They want to seize him. They want to seize him. Guys, they're trying to kill Jesus, but what does he do? Here's what I'll tell you what he doesn't do. Jesus doesn't run away and hide in a cave. Jesus doesn't leave and and head over to Gentile country. Jesus doesn't go to Egypt. You know what he does? Look at verse 40. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to a place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. Here's what happens, right? Jesus did not remain in Jerusalem, right? He didn't remain there among the hostile religious leaders, but knowing time was short, it wasn't time for his arrest or crucifixion, he goes to a place beyond the Jordan, if you're taking note, it's called um, Perea, P-E-R-E-A, Perea, okay? Perea, that's where, that's where John the Baptist was baptizing, that's where he goes, but I want you to know, what is he doing, right? What's he doing? He's ministering to people. He's ministering to people. And, and, and he's loving on people. He just had this huge confrontation at Solomon's porch. He goes, I still got work to do. I'll be back. 
And he goes and he begins to minister to all those. And they come to him. And here's what the Bible says. It says, many believed in him. We know that word, right? The Greek word is pitheo, pistis. It means just put in your faith and trust completely. It means don't just put your toe in the pool, jump in completely. Jump in all the way. Believe. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. You don't have to understand it all right now. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. In Jesus. And that's where we leave him. Now, let's close with this. What does the passage teach? Okay, what does the passage teach us? Number one, if you're taking note, it shows us the willful blindness of unbelievers. The willful blindness of unbelievers. That's what it shows us. Okay, so we see that, again, the God of this age is using that. Why? Here's why. Listen to me, church. Listen, listen, okay? Let's talk, let's talk these two groups. The first group is those of us who are followers of Jesus. We want to grow. We don't want to be blinded to the truth in God's word, okay? We want to grow in that, okay? But, but the enemy realizes that I can, I can stunt your growth. I can, I can take you out of the battle if I blind you to the truth of who God is. Then you have unbelievers here, guys. It teaches us that what? That you have people that are just not going to listen and believe. The God of this age has blinded them, blinded their minds to who God is. Hey, Pastor, what can I do? You ready? Pray and live out the gospel. Live out the gospel. And, and let me say this I've heard pastors say, man, listen, just live the gospel. And use words if necessary. No, use words. We live in an area, and I love where we live, okay? But we live in an area, guys, where, where doing good is chalked up to just being good and moral. And so what we want to do is we want to tell them that it's not just moral, it's Jesus. And share the good news. Share the good news. Keep praying. Live out the gospel. Live out the gospel and tell them about Jesus. God will give you the opportunities, trust me. You'll be the craziest thing. People come up to you and go, hey, so how do you get saved? What? Right? <laughs> you're in your, you're, a few hours earlier, you're praying, God, speak to me. God, just use me today. God, if you could just use me to lead somebody to Christ. And then somebody comes and goes, how do you get saved? You're like, ah. Come with me to church. No, tell them about Jesus. Man, Jesus died for you. He has a plan for your life. He wants to show you things you won't imagine. You can't imagine. The second thing it shows us, guys, is that the Old Testament points to Christ, right? All the Old Testament points to Christ. Such a beautiful picture. You see, there are a lot of churches today, guys, that say, hey, we don't study the Old Testament because that's Old Testament. We're New Covenant. I say we study the Old Testament because we can learn so much. Did you know? Did you know that the Old Testament, guys, actually explained to us in an, an amazing way the book of Ephesians and the book of James? Prove it. Okay. All right. The other night when, when Josh was preaching, he mentioned, he mentioned a story in the Old Testament where Moses, do you guys remember Moses? And Joshua was fighting the Amalekites, right? The Amalekites. Whenever Moses let his hands go down, we lost the battle, right? So Moses is like, could you imagine Moses? If he had a sense of humor, he'd be like, oh, look, I'm winning. Oh, 
Oh, well, what happens if I do this? Oh, we're losing. We're losing one. Okay, okay. And then if he didn't like somebody, he'd be like, oh, I don't like that guy. And he got beat up. But in other ways, in other words, but he, whenever he lifted his hands, we won the battle. But who was fighting the battle? Joshua was down there yielding the sword. Fighting, right? You go, well, how does that tie in? Okay, number one, Ephesians tells us that it is by what? By grace you are saved. That is the root of our salvation. That's Moses holding up supernaturally, we win. But James says it's by works, which is the fruit of our salvation. There we are. And I'm going, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Ephesians, root of our salvation. James, the fruit of our salvation. You're like, wow. Right? Some of you are like, I know, that's how I was like, Lord, you, that, that just spoke to my heart. That was amazing. Old Testament. What else did we learn from, what else does this passage teach? Well, last but not least, it, infirmed, it, it confirms the deity of Christ. Who God is in Christ. Can I just say this? You won't go wrong giving your life to Jesus Christ. You won't go wrong. Because he loves you and he has a plan for you. And I know what people are thinking. Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand, Pastor. I, it's dark all around me. I just can't see the light. I have no hope. I'm depressed. Let me say this to you. You ready? You might think you're buried today. But God says you're not buried. You're planted. You're about to bloom. You're about to bloom. Just hang in there. You're not buried. Think about a seed. You take a seed, right? What do you do? You put it in the, you put it in the dirt. And it's all cool, right? When, he, when the seed sits in there and he's like, man, sunshine, man, look at this. I got this. And then the owner takes the dirt and he covers Oh, hey, hey, whoa. And then it's dark and it's lonely and sad. He doesn't know what's going on. And the owner takes and he puts water and he cares for it and gives it sunshine and eventually something starts to happen. And I'm telling you today, listen to me. I'm telling you, guys, guys, listen. I don't care how dark it is in your life. I'm telling you today, you're not buried, but you're planted and God's going to do something amazing. Can I just share this with you? Your story's not over. Your story's not over. He's still writing the story of your life. And that's going to be glorious. And your testimony is going to be amazing. Can I get an amen? Father, thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. Thank you, God, that, Lord, you're still winning people with, our, with your word and the works and the miracles, God. People getting saved. I mean, it's crazy to see people get saved today, and you do an incredible work. People shake their head and go, this can't be true. And it is true, God, because... Because your word is true and you are true. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the encouraging word. So, today, Lord, we love you. We bless you. And we worship you, God. It's in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. 
I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.